CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called the Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. There may or may not be drunken cannibals out in the middle of the Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> that's like awesome. a whole other side story. That's that's yeah. for the sequel, right? <laughs> PK Boys 2. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined by jonathan watkins hello hello and today we have a very special guest it is director and co-writer of a movie called ek boys eric mcever eric welcome hi konnichiwa it's an honor to be here oh well uh yeah we we love talking to filmmakers and uh and you're probably one of our first who has a movie at a festival, but maybe mm-hmm. like, you don't have distribution yet, right? Uh, all kinds of things are in works at the moment. So I feel like if you ask me, I, I'm 90% sure that if you were to ask me that question in a few days or a few weeks, I would have a very detailed answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the moment, the answer is TBA. TBA. Yeah, all right. That's awesome. The, uh, the, the movie has just played. It was, by the time we get this recording out, it will have just played at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas. Uh, when you show, when, when you were, uh, standing in and watching, uh, this with an audience, how did it go? Well, it was a really, I guess the feeling I would describe as validation because, uh, creatively was a real swing for the fences in that I knew there was a version of this film that would be cute and jokey and ironic and Mm -hmm. too cool for school. Right. And I thought, well, I could make that film and it would achieve some degree of success. Or I could do the film I really believe in made with heart and sincerity and, <laughs> you know, and know that, know, know that mean-spirited people and ironic people would have a field day with it. But, yeah. it would, but it would ultimately reach the people that mattered. Uh, so I cast the die and swung for the fences. And, uh, you know, it was a risk. But I think the, the sense I got last night, the really palpable sense was everyone was just really engaged and 100% got what I was going for with the, you know, with the sincerity, with the, you know, and I I don't want to overstate this because there's a lot of humor in the film. Uh, There's a lot of funny stuff and a lot of ridiculous stuff. Um, But I made sure it all came from a real place. And the audience seemed to, without blinking an eye, fully understand that. Um, So I'm honored. I'm delighted. I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling a sense of, of peace. Well, that's, uh, well, that's good. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 that is an interesting thing. This isn't a wink wink type of thing, even though you have a lot of references to, uh, you know, especially I guess Jonathan and I and, and, uh, Tatum's, <laughs> uh, uh, childhoods and everything. I imagine you're probably around our age. I don't know. I'm 44. So I, I, I'm, I'm 35, 35. Um, so you're way younger than don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> well, although can I, I, let me, ins- like, if I might insert there, one of the, the wonderful things I've discovered in, in my career so far is how a shared love of these stories, it's kind of an age flattener. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've met people much older than me who it's just the moment we connect, it's like suddenly we're all around age 12. And mm-hmm. it, it seems like these stories and these, these films, good people make them and they bring good people together. Uh, you know, yeah. you talk about don't meet your heroes, but that has absolutely not been the case for me. Like the heroes I have met are now my friends. And it's, it's, it, it's felt like traveling across the world to look in a mirror. Um, hmm. So I don't know. That's that's one of the, the the bigger and more meaningful rewards of this whole journey. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I mean, it's 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 probably a pretty obvious question, but because people don't exactly know what this movie's about yet during this podcast at this point in time, what was your inspiration for this movie? Well, uh, my own life, um, honestly. It you know, so this is my first. Um, so technically it's my fifth uh, feature film, but uh, the first one was in high school and the other three were self-financed in Japan. Um, so oh, those wow. were, you know, I'm proud of them. They're, they're practice movies, uh, but mm-hmm. made with a lot of passion and I stand by them. But this is the first one that it's, you know, it's meant to reach a wide audience. It's meant to make money. It's meant to, you know, it, it is a real movie. Um, and, you know, it's important to me that it be something there's so many movies made. It had to be something that really mattered. Um, and I got the same advice in different words from different sources. And I think maybe the best way that it was articulated was the Duplass brothers who said, you know, make a film yeah. that you are uniquely qualified to make. Um, and uh, I, you know, I thought about that a lot and I thought, well, what, you know, what do I really believe? What do I really care about? And how could I combine those things? And, you know, the answer kind of became obvious uh, once I started going there. It's like, well, I grew up fascinated with these stories uh, from Japan. They led me to Japan and, you know, my dearest friends in life. Um, And I, you know, if I, the goal of this film is to make the kind of film that when people have just had a really awful day, they will turn to it for a pick me up. And then, you know, it's like, Oh, I've watched DK boys. I feel better. <laughs> and my, my thinking was, you know, my thinking was, well, the only way I can earn an audience's trust to watch my film in a vulnerable moment. I mean, if that's really my goal, I need to make myself vulnerable to the audience. And I thought, well, let me just be as honest with my own personal story as possible. Uh, because they say the specificity is universal. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I really, bored down on that and then you know surrounded myself with more talented more experienced people to elevate that Mm -hmm. um and this is a loaded question but it it seems apt uh because you know there's so many different it looks like there's so many different things that you were inspired by uh that you put into this movie so like anime comic books tv shows movies cartoons uh, could you name off uh, some some of those that were really big for you and that that sort of went into this movie? Sure, um, you, you know. So, and you know, I, I will give my answer, but I think um, one of the goals of the film is to make something that would be a sort of a a mirror for people who, you know, the the touchstones that that we all have might be a little bit different. But I wanted to make mm-hmm. a movie that would speak to speak to the different you know range of range of stories out there. Uh, so for me, uh, okay. I mean, so when I was really like in kindergarten, um, you know, I, I, I'm one of those kids who had a dinosaur phase. 
<laughs> and yeah. um, never grew out of it to this day. Um, but at like age four or five, there aren't many dinosaur films that are safe to show to a kid. So mm-hmm. not knowing what they were unleashing upon the world, uh, my parents showed me uh, Showa era Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. And I loved them. Um, and it triggered a lot of things inside me in terms of, you know, curiosity about, excuse me, curiosity about the wider world, about other countries, about other languages. Mm-hmm. And when I was a little bit older, I discovered that there were new Godzilla films being made in the 90s in Japan. And through dubious means, I will say, uh, I don't <laughs> worry, I have since bought it legally. But through uh, dubious means, I tracked down 1994's Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. And this oh, was nice. around, uh, around age 10. And it just, it, it, it was a, it was a transformational moment uh, because it was, it was new and it was exciting and it was just, it was, it was a whole other world. Um, and that kind of opened the floodgates. Um, I would say in terms of filmmaking, in terms of something that I've come back to since, um, the Heisei Gamera trilogy by uh, Kaneko Shusuke. Yeah, that was that was really revelatory for me. And uh, and Kaneko, he's actually one of the producers in the opening of EK Boys. So oh, talk nice. about your heroes. That um, th- that's a that is an honor to put it mildly. Uh, and um, as well as so special effects for the trilogy, uh, Higuchi Shinji, um, he's uh, he's the narrator in the cursed anime. And <laughs> so uh, talking about Higuchi San, uh, that that brings us to uh, of course Evangelion, which. Uh, I discovered that, you know, it's interesting because the lead character in that's 14 and I discovered it around age 15 and oh, it wow. couldn't have been, that couldn't have been a more perfect time to experience that because it really showed me, wow, you know, here's, here's a really authentic, like real raw story about what it means to grow up, um, mixed with all of these just really compelling, you know, uh, genre elements and mythological elements and religious elements. Um, and you know, it's probably no accident that I saw that at age 15. And then I made my own film where it's a coming of age story mixed with apocalyptic imagery. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it, it, so those were the big ones, but you know, there, there's so many, it, it, it's such a rich library and, Part of the joy of it is that I keep discovering them. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to even call this anime, but just a few years ago, um, the, the tale of Princess Kaguya. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's just showing the new frontier in what cinema can be. Um, so, you know, there's the influences that I had growing up, but you keep getting influenced and you keep growing. So it, it's all fed in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your, uh, your cast here because, uh, you know, um, there, you know, the, especially the three, uh, principles here. And then of course, surprise Billy Zane is in this movie, <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, but, uh, you have, uh, and I'm sorry if I mess up names, but you have Quinn Lord, you have Ronak Gandhi and you have Christina Higa, um, uh, that round out the, uh, the three that, uh, get involved in this, uh, that, you know, it's, it's funny ta- hearing you talk about getting Godzilla, uh, through dubious means and everything. And I don't know if it was necessarily dubious means, uh, that the main character, well, you know, one of the main characters, Sean, uh, gets his, uh, gets his hands on this DVD. That's like, you know, uh, it, it's a, it's a legendary movie that no one has seen in forever or whatever, but. 
um i I did like that little uh animation at the beginning too where like you know like (laughs) people are making out in the theater and you know all that and uh it was uh it was a lot of fun but um uh but uh yeah how did you uh come about this cast what was what was uh the process like yeah well um all of them are wonderful uh and by the way you you got the pronunciation almost completely correct uh ronick will be pissed at me if i don't correct it's a ronuck as in knuckle ah Uh, ronuck okay um, so uh just uh ronuck i'm doing your due diligence for you buddy (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, so what was really important for me and you know and this this speaks to all the things i've been saying at the film is that i work with actors who brought truth and authenticity to their characters and so what it came down to was finding actors who i had a genuine chemistry with as a person and who we had we had a genuine chemistry together as a group so that it would working together it would be a relaxed space where real authentic characters who were like they were real people they weren't ideas of people would emerge um Mm -hmm. and the the real gift of this is you know the four of us just like get along like game gangbusters but i've got my own i've got my own unique relationship with all three of them and i think that's really that's really why it turned out so well um and you know there's there's a story so quinn so obviously Quinn is playing a character loosely based off of me. And for me, this is just a, a case, like a case study in why destiny is a real thing and why there are certain people who you are meant to connect with in life. Mm-hmm. Because Quinn, uh, basically Quinn and I are the same person. Um, <laughs> and, and it's, you know, and, and it's in cute little funny ways. Like he and I can have an entire conversation that consists entirely of Farscape quotes. Oh God. Um, nice. Uh, or, or, uh, more recently we've, uh, had, we, we, our, our more recent code will be speaking entirely in uh, toast London quotes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, since filming, I mean, it's, it's been many, we've just had many zoom sessions. Where we've just like played chess and talked. Um, and I think Quinn is, he, he's one of those people who he lacks pretenses in that, he is true to himself and he feels no need and like no, no shame and no need to be what someone else thinks he should be. Uh, he's just, this is just a sweet, authentic, sincere person. Um, and so it's very easy to connect with someone like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ronak is, uh, you know, he, he plays a character who's loosely based off of my best friend in high school. And Ronak is, it's neat because he and I have a similar similar chemistry to that friendship. You know, Ronick is a big, like larger than life personality. He's goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's colorful. And all of that is on the surface over, I, I, the best way to describe it would be a deep emotional intelligence. I mean, he, uh, mm-hmm. he's one of the most empathetic people I know. And so there's very much a, it, it, we, we very like, whereas Quinn and I are kind of like, we're, we're both on one side of the coin. Ronick is on the other side. And so we, you know, we balance one another out very well there. And then mm-hmm. the thing I can say about Christina is, so we, we basically had the same inverted life journey. Um, so, you know, whereas I grew up in Oklahoma and studied Japanese and worked very hard to get to Japan and live there, Christina grew up in Tokyo and she went to an international school um, and actually English uh, is her first language. Um, oh, really? 
Uh, and so I, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but uh, I think it's fair to say that she, you know, spent her childhood trying to find who she was and her place in the world. And that led to coming to America and studying there and, you know, finding herself through music and now through acting. Uh, by the way, she does the, uh, the end credits song in the film. She's a, a oh, really oh, very cool. Um, and so, you know, if you talk about traveling overseas to find yourself, you know, that's a story that both Christina and I can relate to, but that is certainly Miki's story. Um, mm. and so, you know, it, it's, I think really what it came down to is all of us, we're just able to be ourselves around one another and just having that complete lack of pretenses and lack of, lack of walls and I don't know, just un, unnecessary barriers means that we were able to craft real people yeah. on screen. They seem like it. I mean, they, re they really do seem like people that, you know, you, you know, you dealt with in high school, if you were in that group, I mean, obviously you're either in that group or you're in the bully group or, you know, yeah. whatever, you yeah. know. um, well, they, uh, they I, felt I like, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, I was never a part of uh, the bully group and I was, I guess, halfway in the nerd group, but like, you know, it was, it was a weird thing. So whatever, but uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and they just, they just felt like kids. Right. I mean, I, I was curious. I mean, I looked up some of the ages. I saw Quinn was like, I think he's like 20, 21 or whatever, but I mean, but they, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they felt like, they felt like teenagers. They felt like kids that age and they were, you know, they were doing things that, you know, in a, in a crazy situation like this, like. I felt like they were acting like any normal, you know, any kid would if that crazy stuff happened to them. Right. So I thought that was, that always helps. I think, you know, gets the movie a little, uh, uh, more realism in the face of, you know, the, the fantasy and stuff, which is really cool. Well, thank you. Cause that was absolutely the goal. It's I, yeah. I you know, and there's a lot of humor in the film, um, mm -hmm. but I wanted to be sure that, you know, they say, uh, the great comedy tells the truth. And I wanted the humor to come from the fact that, oh, yeah, these kids with, you know, th their limited experiences and resources, this is what they would do. Uh, these are the harebrained schemes that would emerge in this kind of predicament. Yeah. Um, so thank you. I'm glad that was your takeaway. Mm -hmm. And I and I love seeing Quinn, by the way. I'm, I'm a I'm a huge trick or treat fan. So, uh, nice. you know, he, he's nice. become such yeah. a. I guess a horror icon, right? I mean, I think Sam, I mean, people dress up as him for Halloween and stuff. So I guess that counts. <laughs> he, he, he is, he is aware, very aware of and very honored by uh, his role there. Um, That's I very think cool. he's excited by the possibility of having at least two iconic characters to his name now. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I can feel it. It's going to happen again. Yeah. Uh, you had, I had a, you know, I had a question uh, you have already answered, uh, are you from Oklahoma? But, um, so tell me about the importance of setting this movie in your home state, because you're probably a lot like, you know, like I always, uh, find it, um, you know, uh, awesome whenever someone puts Tennessee or Nashville in there, because that's sure. where we're from. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, you know, it feels like a lot of filmmakers go out and they make their movie and they're like, well, I guess I got to make this in New York or LA or something. And then, you know, and, and we, it, they hardly ever get a chance to, to do their hometown. You know, like, I guess everybody would like to be like Alexander Payne and set their, you know, their movie <laughs> in Nebraska every time if they wanted to. But, uh, how important was that to you to have the setting in Oklahoma? 
Well, it was very important. Um, it, it, it was a mixture of inspiration and necessity. And I think the, the happy thing is that they kind of, ultimately they dovetailed. Um, mm-hmm. The inspiration side of it was, you know, as a child, I was bored out of my skull. And that was part of like what led to the interest in Japan and uh, the, the wider world out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to Japan and, and now I've lived there for many years. And Japan is just as wonderful as I thought it was. But it is mm-hmm. also just a place and people there are just as human as anywhere here. And after enough time had passed there, I started to see my home state from a fresh perspective, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of picking up on how a lot of Japanese people thought it was just as exotic as interesting as I had once thought Japan was exotic and interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. And also just on an aesthetic level, I started to, it's, it's really interesting, um, I started to pick up on things that just bounced off me as, as a kid because I just, it was normal. I didn't think about them, but like little things like how beautiful the winter sky over the prairie was mm. or, you know, how, you know, how striking and u- unique, you know, like the, the wind was, you know, when the wind is always blowing and sometimes it's so strong that it makes tornadoes. And it just, it occurred to me like, this is a unique place and I haven't seen it authentically captured on film. And I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to tell some, to tell a story that is a fusion of my two, two homes and is really unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that, that mixed with the practical reality of uh, no one's going to let you make a film until you've made a film. So in order to get out of the catch 22, you have to go to a place where you're, where you have friends and resources and goodwill and, mm-hmm. uh, had a lot of goodwill from childhood. Um, Now, the real happy confluence of events was that the Oklahoma film industry, it's been been growing slow and steadily for the past few years, but in really in the past couple years, it's been taking quantum leaps. Um, And so it really, it was the right time to make a ambitious, unique film in Oklahoma. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because the the, the resources in the state were aligning with what I wanted to do. And so, uh, I don't know, what, what do they say? Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Uh, yeah. maybe to, to quote my father, you make your own luck. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, why do you think that is? Why has Oklahoma started turning around for that? Oh, you know, I don't think there's any one answer to these things, but I do. <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said about the inferiority complex. Oh yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, as a child, I, uh, like I say, I mean, I, I joke about being bored out of my skull, but like the very concrete thought that I remember over and over again is like, Oklahoma is an insignificant place. Nothing important happens here. I want to work hard to go to a place where important things happen. Uh, and of course, ultimately I discovered that that's, you know, that's either not true or at best half true. Right. Um, but I think there is some kind of, I don't know if it's a chip on the shoulder or just a like, you know, uh, a, a, a sort of a like a drive to work harder and prove something. Uh, yeah. um, because, you know, Oklahoma isn't Tokyo. It isn't New York. <laughs> I've, I've seen a couple of, there's a guy who on YouTube who uh, uh, talks about uh, what it's like to live in Tokyo and the, you know, the good and the bad and all that. And sure. Uh, what's, what's your favorite part of, what's your favorite part of living there? You still, you still live there? 
Uh, yes, is the short version. Um, the longer version is that COVID upended my life as it did a lot of people. So right. I, I'm in the, uh, I, I, I am in a COVID induced holding pattern where literally my high school yearbooks, dumbbells, um, uh, and, uh, autographed children's books and, uh, favorite Godzilla among other random sundries are in the care of my best friend back in Tokyo. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I, I entrusted them to him uh, in 2019 when I came back to make EK Boys and got stranded. Oh, so, wow. um, so, but you know, I, I'm uh, I'm being facetious about it. But when the world opens up again, you know, I, I will head back to Tokyo. It is very much my second home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess I mean I touched on it there. I mean, the best thing about it is it's it's my friends, and I think the real the real gift. It's interesting. Um, being, I, I worked very, very hard to become extremely bilingual and extremely fluent. Yeah. And the gift of being, because Japan is such a homogenous culture, mm-hmm. the gift of being very fluent in Japanese and very culturally sensitive as a foreigner is you can kind of, at least I've been able to inhabit this kind of, this very specific nether zone where. I, people will be, Japanese people will be emotionally vulnerable with me, Mm -hmm. um, in ways that they wouldn't with another Japanese person. And it also, I mean, because I, because I'm not Japanese, I never will be Japanese. It means that there's an innate curiosity and I, it's meant, I've been able to make friends with people of a lot of different ages who do a lot of different professions. And so really what it comes down to then is it's not about, Japanese people or American people, it just means I've been able to connect with a lot of people um, in a lot of different walks of life. And I think that 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 is the real reason why Japan has become such a wonderful second home to me is because it's it's a place where I've connect been able to connect with so many great human beings. Um, I, I will also say just it, it's little it's little odd things like rivers in Japan are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of like friendly stray cats along the rivers. So <laughs> it's just, it's a good place to like take a walk and contemplate the world and get, I mean, half of EK boys was conceived taking a walk along uh, the Tamagawa, which is, I know that's <laughs> a Kurosawa's favorite river to go fishing on. So mm-hmm. uh, I didn't like it. There is something in the air. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I thought was, was uh, really well done was how the difference between Sean uh, trying to speak Japanese and understand Japanese and Vic trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Vic is obviously like off close enough (laughs) and Sean isn't perfect. That's one thing that I think a lot of movies make a mistake of doing is this guy's really smart. I'll go ahead and make him bilingual and he just knows everything, uh, <laughs> how to say whatever he, whatever he wants to say. Yeah. And in this movie, sure. he, this, he, that's what I found fascinating about it was he want the, in the translation, you know, he is saying almost the perfect thing a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, tell me about that. Was that a, was that a conscious, I mean, obviously it was a conscious thing, but, uh, was that something that was hard to, to construct when they're speaking Japanese? Uh, I could, I was only able to do it. And I, I don't think I'm speaking at school, but I say do it very well. Um, because I had years of experience and I, a long time I was in the phase that Sean was in, which is mm-hmm. the phase that Sean is in is he's studied the books. He's studied 
the grammar. Um, he has all the knowledge, but he doesn't have the experience to know how to use it in a natural way. Mm-hmm. So um, a Japanese listener to it would hear someone who is, it's like, it's, it's a bit labored. It's a bit forced. It's very mathematically correct. Um, it's pretty humorously polite. I mean, it, it, every, <laughs> everything he says is like the most polite possible version of the Japanese <laughs> yes. because, because he's trying not to make, he's trying not to offend anyone. He's trying not to make any mistakes. Um, and of course he makes lots of mistakes. Uh, but all, all of those, frankly, were mistakes I made. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, uh, so, um, you know, Sean, Sean will get there, but, uh, it like, you know, you, you have to, you have to go through that phase of working really hard and getting a lot of things wrong to get to a phase where things become unconscious. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, but it, it also speaks to a larger issue of like, it's very clear that he's trying really hard. Yeah. And, uh, I think if there's one message I want to convey with the film is that trying is really important. It's okay to make mistakes, but if you're really trying to connect with other people and really trying to listen to and understand other people, uh, you'll get pretty far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, and we've gotten about, you know, almost 30 minutes into this, uh, <laughs> interview and I don't think we've actually talked about, uh, you know, you're, you're, we've, we've kind of gotten around the inspirations of it and everything, yeah, but tell, yeah. me, t- tell us about your plot of the movie a little bit. Uh, tell us what this movie's about and, and, uh, you know, because, you know, I think, I think, uh, people will, will geek out about it, uh, when they, when they find out. Yeah. Well, no, it, so it's set, uh, in the last week of 1999. Um, and uh, yes. it's about a couple of, uh, best friends in, in Oklahoma who, uh, they are, uh, they, they hate Oklahoma. They hate being teenagers and their escape from the world is all things Japanese and their friendship with one another. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the holidays of 1999, there is a Japanese, uh, uh, girl exchange student coming. And for Sean and Vic, these two friends, uh, the arrival of Miki is like winning the lottery. It's like it's a girl <laughs> yeah. and a Japanese girl. <laughs> right. Um, and in their effort to, impress her they uh track down this uh mythical long lost masterpiece of japanese animation that is entitled go exclamation point great decisive (laughs) battle at the end of the century with rainbows and this film is purportedly a prophecy of the year 1999 and the heroes will rise up to save the world from destruction and they all watch this film and the film curses them and they slowly but surely transform into the heroes that will save the world uh, but of course, in order to do that, they have to reckon with themselves and uh, reckon with who they are and what it actually means to be a hero. Uh, and actually, there's a lot of other twists and turns uh, there. Cause yeah. there's, uh, um, but I, that, that's the that's the primer, because I haven't even touched on the fact that uh, the reason Miki is in Oklahoma is because she is fascinated by Native American culture. Yeah. yeah. She, she is there in search of a deeper understanding of who she is. Um, and all of these things come together in a big raucous finale that may or may not have actual giant monsters battling. <laughs> I, I, was, I was curious about that too. You, I mean, you brought it up the, the native American influence, um, yeah. which, which by the way, <laughs> the scene where she tells why she came 
yeah. uh, to Oklahoma in that school was funny on a lot of levels. I mean, obviously the misinterpretation <laughs> of what kind of uh, Indian Vic was, yeah. but also that teacher, I went to uh, a religious-based private school. Uh-huh. Uh, that I, I had that teacher so many times. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the, the awkward, you know, don't really know how to like, you know, ex- Oh, it was, it was, it was a beautiful scene, but, um, the, I was curious about the native American influence. I mean, obviously that's a thing in Oklahoma, you know, that's a, yeah. you know, but, uh, did that, what, I, I don't know. I'm just, is that, is that a fascination you have found in Japan? Is that where that came from? Or was it just something that was, it made sense in the story? Well, so it comes from a couple of different places. Um, so one is growing up, um, you know, Oklahoma, uh, it's, uh, formerly Indian country Mm -hmm. and it's built off of, it's built off of years of cruelty towards native Americans. Um, and I remember, I remember growing up and knowing all of the native culture that was in the state. And yet I would go to Blockbuster and see Disney films and like films about King Arthur. And I I just, Mm -hmm. and I wondered like, well, wait a minute. Like why, why am I not seeing the the native King Arthur here? Like Mm -hmm. why, like why are these the stories that being told? And it, it just kind of, it, on some level, it bothered me that it was all around me. And yet in the daily experience I had that it was so invisible um, and that it was, it was almost like it was something that I was being taught didn't matter and I shouldn't care about. And that, that really bothered me. And fortunately we're in a better world now where mm-hmm. I think that's changing. Uh, although we still got a ways to go. Um, so that, that was part of it. And the other is, so Miki, you know, there's a lot of autobiographical elements in this film. There was no Miki who came to my high school, uh, when I was growing up, but, Miki's inspired by uh, several of my good Japanese female friends. And the thing about Japan is it's such a homogenous culture that people will tend to get into very specific things and and define themselves by their very, very specific Mm -hmm. passions. Um, Hmm. I've got one very good friend who there's a whole lot of her and Miki who her passion in life is traveling the world to photograph ghost towns. Um, <laughs> so she released, she released a, a book of photographs of, of Chernobyl. Um, oh. She actually visited me in Oklahoma and I, I never would have even had these places on my radar, but she helped me track down these amazing uh, frontier era uh, ghost towns in Oklahoma. Wow! And, you know, it's just, so this like, you know, Japanese woman my age obsessed with ghost towns around the world. And uh, so it's, it is entirely, it entirely makes sense that there would be someone like Miki who is just like Mm -hmm. Indians are her thing. Now it's more of a, like an idea of Indians rather than the actual reality. And it's like the, the kind of like skewed information that she would get over in Japan. And so I guess one of the other things I wanted to explore is the fact that like it would be a a romanticized and incomplete and inaccurate idea, but it's still it's still something that drives her to find the truth. And again, this speaks to the larger issue of like a lot of the things she thinks proved out to be kind of romanticized or inaccurate or untrue, but she is trying to learn and she's trying to find out. And I, I guess I I really do believe that trying to listen and trying to understand and trying to 
to grow and learn about other perspectives in the world, it, it makes the world better. And uh, it so she doesn't get it all right, but she learns a lot of things and she grows a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I want to I want to touch on the special effects in this movie. Sure. Uh, because. Uh, you could easily just say, all right, all right, this is what I planned all along. Or you could say, well, this is because I have a low budget or whatever. I love the special effects in this movie, by the way. So, <laughs> Thank so you. Uh, I, you know, I, I thought that it went uh, totally along with that 90s feel of, you know, when you're watching like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and stuff like that back in the day. So, yeah, talk about your special effects because I think they're fun as well. Well, um, yeah, I mean, and this is something where it's like it. Of course, there's no way I could compete with uh, with Marvel resources, but I didn't need to. Um, I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was really like this was the style of special effects that was appropriate for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and also for me, I mean, it's just like, of course, this stuff was uh, my bread and butter as a child. So uh, you know, twist my arm to be able to work with the pros and. Uh, like be in a position to empower and inspire them to do new things in their real house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, there's a lot of stories I could tell. Um, I think one of my favorites is, you know, so the final battle, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a big full on tokusatsu battle, puppets, men in suits. Um, you know, it, it's done by a crew of Japanese veterans who's worked on, you know, many Godzilla and Gameda films. And I think my favorite story out of many great stories from working on that is so, you know, there's a couple of explosions in it and the, you know, they're practical explosions um, and they were rigged with pyrotechnics and set off with something called a uh, shamisen. So shamisen is, is a Japanese heart and you lay it out flat and uh, pluck it. Mm-hmm. But, and um, so uh, the shamisen and pyrotechnics, it's like, it's a wooden board with uh, metal rods on it and, you trigger the rods uh, by hand. And so it's, it's designed so that you can set off the explosions uh, time, real time to what the suit actors are doing. Mm-hmm. So you don't uh, go to a store and buy a shamisen. These are all like custom made. Um, and the one we had on EK Boys uh, was uh, operated by a man named Iwata-san. And he had inherited it from his mentor who had in turn inherited it from the man who built it. And we did the math and like, just sort of like traced the lineage of the Shamisen. And we're virtually certain that it was built for and used on the very first Godzilla film in 1954. Oh, wow. And so like that for me, like, you know, and the explosions, they go by in the blink of an eye, but like mm-hmm. the fact that those are not like, th- those are literally Godzilla explosions. They, it's like, they're, they're not an homage. They're not a love letter. They're not done in the style of, <laughs> or they're, they're like, literally it's there in the DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, you know, the, the whole film is an aggregate of details like that. And they consciously, the audience won't register them, but if you put enough care into all the little details like that, it, it really adds up. Um, yeah, and I could say all kinds of things. I mean, like, yeah, like, so the the, the kaiju, the, uh, the fur on that, that's the same fur that was used for the Chewbacca suits. So oh. it's like, there's so much, like, so many little things that, you know, layered on top of one another, they contribute to the whole. And I think all what all this speaks to is just 
just the joy of working with craftspeople, you know, just like real craftsmen, real people who love their jobs and love their work and being in a position to elevate and empower them. Mm hmm. Yeah, that you had, uh, and you had some miniature work in here too, right? Like, there's yes. a yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the stuff that gets me excited for some reason. I don't know why. It's something about it that's just there. There's something surreal about seeing miniatures getting blown up, even mm -hmm. though it, even though it's you know in in the moment, it obviously it looks exactly like the thing that's being blown up, the full scale size thing that's being yeah. blown up. But you, you like the, the stuff that's in, there's like a real quick shot in here that just really, I don't know. It took, it got me, it transported me to another time. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I love, I love stuff like that. I love these little, like the miniature stuff and everything. So there's Easter eggs up the wazoo in this film, but, um, if you freeze frame, uh, the, the miniature, uh, log cabin, which I think you're talking about, yeah. um, look at it closely because there is laundry out to dry uh, multiple, uh, empty bottles of moonshine and a, um, uh, a set of ribs over a campfire that look suspiciously like human ribs. Mm -hmm. So, um, th there may or may not be drunken cannibals out in the middle of the Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it's like awesome. a whole other side story. That's, that's yeah. for the sequel, right? <laughs> EK boys too. Yeah. I actually did want to mention real quick. I know we're getting close to the time, but, um, I loved the father son stuff in this movie uh speaking of farscape uh yeah ben browder is excellent in this movie um i really enjoy that um it i i think in a lot of movies like this the a lot of the times like when you're dealing with fan culture and stuff especially with kids like the parents are typically more dismissive and yeah more just like you know come come be a man and do this and you know i had a dad like this where you know he was you know, he was, you know, he was a hunter and, you know, stood out by his car on Saturdays with the hood up, drinking beer, listening to the baseball game. I mean, and I'm yeah. over there watching horror movies and reading comic books and he didn't necessarily yeah. get it, but 100% supported it and would even, you know, try to do these things with me and stuff like that. So I just yeah. thought that was really cool that, uh, you, you kind of capture that type of relationship, um, in, in this film. So and uh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I, I know we're running out of time here, but what yeah. I'll, I'll say it is so uh, the character of Wayne, of, of, of Sean's father, he's a he's uh, he's a mixture of a childhood friend uh, who is a handyman and just salt of the earth. Good guy. Um, he very much is that person. And there's a little dose of my own father put in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, it comes from a real place. And man, Ben Browder. He, uh, like they say, don't meet your heroes, but, uh, he, uh, Ben is just the best. Um, he, he like, uh, of course he's a wonderful actor and a professional, but like that man, uh, just, he, he's a philosopher. He, uh, I, I feel like a couple hours talking with him and all of my problems have been solved. <laughs> so he was, he was perfect for that role then. <laughs> yeah, he, he, indeed. <laughs> Um, yeah, unfortunately we're going to have to, to, to wrap it up. I had a, I had a couple more I wanted to ask about this cause I really love talking about movies like this, uh, and the process involved and, uh, and, uh, how, how they're made and everything. But, um, 
Um, but uh, the movie has just played at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas, and hopefully we'll have some distribution uh, news in the next uh, you know few days or so. So, uh, but uh, Eric, uh, thank you for uh, thank you. for uh, uh, in, uh, sharing your time today. Uh, the movie is a. Uh, the movie is EK Boys, um, and uh, that's going to do it for this interview. It's uh, Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.